Well, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the life of John the Baptist, um, the forerunner, the one that came before Jesus to show the people Jesus. He, he came to point directly to him. Um, and we look at, uh, as we've been looking at the past few weeks, firstly, God announced his birth and his purpose hundreds of years before his birth and the plan, the plan that God had for him. And in a similar way, we are... We need to realise that this is the plan that God calls us to. Maybe we didn't know hundreds of years before we were born that God had a special plan for us, but we need to know now that God has a plan to use us for. And again, no one here is excluded from that. If you are sick, God has a plan for you. If you are old, God still has a plan for you. There is no use by date on you. If you are young and you think, I'm inadequate, well, God has a plan for you. If you are old and think you're inadequate, God has a plan for you. Secondly, his birth was surrounded by, or again, as God brought him into a family who would prepare him for his purpose. Again, he was born to Zachariah and Elizabeth, and, and they would have raised him, understanding where he had come from and what God had prepared him for. And again, we can reflect on on that, that God not only prepares us to be a forerunner in the world, but he wants us to be involved in that process of preparing others, whether it's our own children, whether it's those who are new converts, those who are less mature in their faith. There, is a place to, there will also be a place for passing on the example of faith, which includes the example of sharing it with others. John never let people find just find the truth by just looking uh, at his life. He didn't just walk around and say, look at me and you'll know the truth. John was very bold at proclaiming the truth. And again, we, we look at us, that same challenge is before us because some of us fall into that trap, I'm going to let my life be the testimony. And again, if your life is not a testimony, that's not a good thing, but it's not enough either. It's not enough either. You can't just go, if you look at my life, I'm going to let you work out who Jesus is. It doesn't work that way. Our life may enhance our conversation about Jesus, saying, look at what God has done in my life. I used to be this and now I am this and God is taking me here. But our words become so important. Now, the other thing we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that John's life was to point to one who was greater than he. And in the same way, we need to let Jesus be the greatest in our life. And we spoke that week, and this is, this is a... It might have been a bit harsh for some of you, it might have been a bit hard to hear, was the fact that any time we disagree with Jesus and choose our own way over his, we are saying we are greater than him. That's, that's, there's no other way of getting around that. Because we're saying, I know better than you right now, Jesus. I'm going to be in control of my life. And so we need to come to a place where, you know what? I don't want to be the greatest one anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to fight to let you to be the greatest in my life. We need to be humble like John to be a forerunner. And last week we, we shared how John was very intentional and consistent and repetitive in taking steps of sharing who Jesus was with his friends. Remember, day after day he would tell his disciples, hey, there's one coming who's going to be this. Hey, the one who comes is going to do this for the world. And oh, day three, there he is. And we need to be intentional in our lives of actually methodically building those, those conversations into the lives of those around us. We don't need to come and sort of surprise them and hit them with our Bibles and go, here, take this. 
Sometimes it is that step-by-step -step process to walk them through into salvation. And as a disciple, we are called to make disciples who make disciples. And today we're going to look at, it's a really quite a strange statement, I suppose. How can we die well? Or how we can die well, yeah. It's not something you want to really think of most days. How can I die well? Maybe, maybe I'm sort of talking about like, oh, what kind of death would I like just to pass away with no pain in my sleep? Um, for some of you who are married, you may have been spoke like, my, I know my wife says, I've, I've got to die last. Like she said, she's going first and I'm going to be left with the kids. So um, um, some of you go, like you've, you've imagined that I'm going to get to this age and then I just want to stop after that. I've had too much. But I'm not talking about any of that today. So you can sort of push that out of your imagination. Um, but as you hear those six different areas, some of you may be stuck way back at the beginning. You might, as I talk about all these things that John was and how we meant to mirror John's life, you might see this giant wall of, of uh, just giant obstacles saying, I, I, can't, I, I, I don't even believe that God has a plan for my life. You, you might be struggling at step one. Or maybe you're, you're along the way, it's not that you struggle to know that God has a plan for your life, you want to be large in charge in your own life. You don't want God to be the greatest. Or you, you, you want him to be oh, maybe number two, number three at least, but you want to be number one. There might be different issues that you need to walk, walk through, but today I want to look at this idea of how we can die well. And to answer that question, there is, there is a secret to it. There is a secret to dying well. And I want to share a bit of a personal story from very recent in my life. A few years ago, a very dear friend of mine passed away. And he had been present in many different stages of my life. Um, when I first started, I suppose, unofficial ministry, he was there, um, shared lots of ministry times with him. He married my wife and I, he dedicated three of my children, uh, he baptised my wife. Um, I was part of his family even before my wife came along. And very, well, very quickly, the rest of my family got adopted in very quickly. And, 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 and it was a very special relationship. Um, and the thing is, a few years ago, he died very suddenly uh, from cancer. And the thing is, he'd been through my life encouraging me and challenging me and supporting me and sharing life with me. And the thing is, his funeral was actually a very big celebration. Um, there were many others who had a similar experience of Graham and what he had done in their life. Time and again, people shared of, of him coming alongside them and encouraging them and building them up. And often, I, I didn't realise this until afterwards, often he would elevate people above him and so they would go on and he would stay where he was. Um, he never pastored a big church. Um, if you looked at it by human success rates, like he'd go, well, he wasn't a very successful pastor, but on the day of his funeral, hundreds were gathered and people were sort of pushed out of the back of this church to try and fit people in. And they all had similar stories of what Graham had done in their life. It was a strange day because it was, it was such sadness, but it was also a day of such joy. And I remember Elizabeth and I speaking really clearly as we went back to his family home that night. We, again, that was where we were to be that night. And, and I, I can't remember which one of us said it, but I said, wouldn't it be great to have a funeral like that? Like, it was, a, it was a joy to go to. It was a joy to go to and come away from. You felt lifted up. Even in the grief, you felt lifted up. And then I remember saying, 
To have a funeral like that, you need to live a life like he did. And that is the secret to dying well, is living well. And see, John the Baptist was in the same boat as that. He was right in the middle of God's purpose for his life. He was right where God wanted him to be. He was obedient from the time he was young until the time his life was taken from him. God's plan for John's life was to be a forerunner. And do you know what? He was 100% successful in pointing people to Jesus. And how could John die well? Because he lived well. John also sort of, he took it upon himself to live out God's truth as he ministered. And we see, and so that becomes so important because sometimes we get, we get stuck in a lie or we get stuck holding the truth in our hands and it doesn't go any further than us. John wanted to live out the truth. He wanted to speak out the truth. And in Mark 6, 18 to 20, he says, For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Again, most of us could actually see that and go, that's, that's not right. Like, we'll see that and go, oh, that's, that's not good. We'd, we'd shake our heads, we'd tut, 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 and go, oh, that's naughty. But we wouldn't actually turn around and say that to the king, would we? Anyone here who could take your life, would you sort of, sort of bring them to task? But that's what John did. And so Herodias nursed a grudge against John. So Herodias was Herod Philip's wife, and then Herod Atippus, this is who we're talking about now, basically took her away. So um, you think your family's bad? Okay, maybe not so bad. Um, but Herod Atippus um, took Herodias as his wife. So she nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Basically, John was pointing the finger. Like the, the, it's just like this. It was, and again, if John could have been closer, he probably would have been sticking that finger. This is you. You are doing the wrong thing. And as Herod is listening, he was confused. There was something in the truth that John spoke about that was a pathway to freedom. John was saying, repent, turn away from your sins, come and be baptised. And Herod goes, that's actually making a lot of sense to me. That, that, that looks like a way to live. But at the same time, it pointed to the ugliness of his heart. If you need to repent, there's bad in your life. There's things that there's a muck, there is a mess there. And John was pointing his finger so clearly at that. And Herod, again, probably wanting to live for himself too much, so he said, as much as that path to freedom looks so good, I want to live my own life. And he continued in that relationship with his brother's wife. See, sometimes we feel that if we point to people, that they're just going to say, oh, you're just pointing at my ugliness. You're just making fun of me. You're being hard on me. But the thing is, if we fail at times to sort of talk about sin and to, to talk about its reality, the reality of sin is what? Death. That's the reality of sin. Okay? Like, so if someone is dying, we kind of warn them about it. Uh, just uh, recently, I, I was up in Townsville, this, this person jumped into the water to save a turtle that was struggling. And while he grabbed the turtle and was trying to bring it towards his boat... This big thing, we've actually got one of them in our, my office at the moment, this big crocodile, not, we haven't got a big one, we've got a little one in my office. You don't have a crocodile in your office every day, do you? So I have one in my office today. Um, but 
this big crocodile grabbed the turtle that he was pulling towards his boat. Now, if you were standing on the shore and you saw a crocodile coming towards someone, they wouldn't mind you yelling out, swim faster, swim, 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 walk on water, quick, do something, something's going to eat you up. You wouldn't mind in that situation because we want to warn people away from death. So in the same way, sin brings people to death. Sometimes we've got to talk about that before people can get to that pathway to freedom that God wants for them. See, truth sets people free. Jesus was very clear about that idea. And guess what? Truth lasts forever. The truth about Jesus lasts forever. It doesn't change. It was the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. The promises that Jesus gives us um, are there. But this is the thing about truth sometimes and standing for God's truth. It's not without cost. It is not without cost to stand up for God. And, and, and just going to the book of Matthew, don't need to, to look this up, but it's found in chapter 14. We actually see uh, a similar story about um, um, Herod recounting uh, his experience with John. And at the time, basically they heard about, Herod heard about Jesus. And all of a sudden he went, oh, is this John the Baptist? Has he been raised from the dead? That's how chapter 14 starts. And then it goes on to tell the backstory of what happened. Again, similar charge before for John. John sort of looks at Herod and saying, you shouldn't be sleeping with your brother's wife. It is, this is wrong. This is against God's law. But again, Herod was, didn't want to go against, I suppose, his own conscience. He also feared the, the, the crowd that were gathering around John. He was very popular. And he didn't want to do anything. Again, Herodias was wanting to get rid of John because, again, unlike Herod, who was at least a little bit open to the truth, what John was saying, Herodias had nothing, didn't want anything to do with it. And John was just a reminder of his sin. And so he had a birthday party and Herodias' daughter came before him and did some kind of funky dance that Herod said, oh, that was so good. Do you know what? I don't know if any of you can dance like that. Like, if I probably danced like that, I'd break something. But... She did such a good dance. Herod said, you can have anything you want up until half of my kingdom. Now, that's a good dance. Like, um, that's, that's a really good dance. Like, um, but she looked at her mother and basically maybe they discussed it beforehand and got to the point where she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, again, not the best birthday present ever, like, um, but... John, uh, Herod was actually very despondent after hearing this and he basically had to give the order because of the oath he had made. Um, and he basically sent for John, uh, John was beheaded and his head was brought on a platter. And his disciples then, um, in verse 12 of Matthew 14, it says, Then his disciples came, removed the corpse and buried it and went and reported to Jesus. So John's disciples came and and did something about, um, I suppose, restoring honour to John following that. Now this becomes a really significant thing, um, not only the fact that John has given his life to sort of bear witness to God's truth and he's been faithful to all those things, that, that's there as well. John was faithful, John was consistent. But there's something that happens even after John's death which we show that it becomes part of what we should be doing as well. Because John actually passed on the life that he had lived. And we need to do the same. We need to pass on life that we have lived. We, we need to do that. It's more than inheritance. I'm not talking about saying, okay, we live to a certain point and when we die, we go, I'm, I, I bequeath this to this person, this to this person, and they get all my stuff. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about money or a house or a car or even a nice memory. 
I'm talking about something more than that. And because I can't even imagine John having that much physically to pass on. You can have one of my ten camel hair costumes, one for you and one for you. Imagine him on Oprah, that would be terrible. Everyone gets a camel hair, a camel hair underwear, camel hair, everything else. You, people wouldn't want to be running up for that. But John didn't have very much, um, I suppose, materially to pass on. But what he passed on was, was far more significant. And so we're just going to that reading that, uh, that Peter sort of uh, read for us earlier. And this is a long time after this happened. So John was killed before Jesus even went to the cross. And after the cross, Jesus rose again. After the cross, Jesus hung out with the disciples. After that, he went up to heaven. And then we see the birth of the church, and, and on that goes. And for a number of years, the church is around Jerusalem. And then they're persecuted, and they spread out. And after that, Paul becomes a, a, a persecutor of the church, and then he becomes a disciple of Christ. And then sometime after that, we come to this story in Acts. So there's a gap here that's significant. Okay, because... And in and, and verse 24 it picks up, it says, Meanwhile a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately though he knew only the baptism of John. Hey, what's the big deal about that? This guy was a disciple of a disciple, maybe of a disciple of John. There might have been two, there would have been two, probably three generations of disciple making here. And Apollos had learnt about who Jesus was. So what does that all mean? It means that his disciples that grabbed John's body understood the mission that John was on. What was John's mission? To point the way to Jesus. So his disciples didn't actually go, we've buried John, let's celebrate his life. No, we're going to be about John's mission. So they started telling more people about Jesus, even though they didn't know the full picture of Jesus. So we, we saw Peter Reddy, sort of Priscilla and Aquila came and sort of instructed, they kind of corrected Apollos' way. But Apollos had actually fallen in love with Jesus, even though he had not met him properly. And so what happened, he was, I'm going to be faithful to the mission that John was on, which is to be a forerunner of Jesus. And so his disciples took that burden on. I'm going to be a forerunner of Jesus. And then their disciples took that on. We're going to be a forerunner of Jesus. And all of a sudden you've got generations of people saying, look at Jesus. Look at the man. Look at what he's done. Look at what he is doing. And Apollos was so passionate about it, yet he probably didn't even know the fullness of the resurrection yet. But he pointed the way to Jesus. It becomes really important for us to, to be in that mindset that we live in a way that people will take up the mission that we have. Now the sad thing is sometimes they do take up the mission that we have and it's not an eternal mission. Maybe we live in a way it's all about making as much money before we die and our kids pick up that same thing. Maybe it's about finding significant at work and, and they pick up that same agenda and say, I've got to be significant by working hard and doing this. And so they take up that mission. I want you, don't put up your hands on this one. I, don't, I want you to think about this one real seriously. Would you say that the people that watch me, would ta what mission would they take up? Would they take up the mission to sort of point the direction of Jesus Christ from their lives? Or is, is talking about Jesus something we say just for church? Just before dinner? I say, grace God, we thank you for this food, and then you're not even mentioned again. Would people be able to look at us and go, do you know what, that person's on mission for Jesus? And I'm going to do the same. Because John's disciples did that. 
Now, I want to share another, a quick story about Graham. Again, I, as I was preparing this, I went, he, he did a lot of this in his life, but again, a lot of it personally impacted on me. When I was um, first wanting to go to Bible college, um, oh, Graham knew about that, but when it came time for me to actually go, I needed to find a church to get involved in in Brisbane. And um, Graham had a small church in the western suburbs of Brisbane, and I rang him up saying, hey, when do you meet? Where do you meet? I want to get a house near there so I, I know where I can come along to that church. First thing he did, he tried to talk me out of it, saying, you can, you can be more blessed, you can get more out of it otherwise. And I, again, probably, probably Graham's influence before this, um, he probably didn't know it, but I wanted to go somewhere where I could get involved quickly. And because of my relationship with Graham, I knew that would happen. Anyway, I spent one year there um, and was able to get involved in, in stuff and again, basically being discipled by Graham through that process. At the end of the first year, um, Graham was taking on some other part-time work and he said, oh, that's going to keep me busy. I've got a suggestion for you. Would you be able to take on the role of pastor? I'll oversee you and be the pastor. You'll basically be my assistant but serve in that role. And he was going away for a few weeks to see family in America in the, in, in the coming years, so he wanted someone to be there, so I, I took on that role. At the end of that next year, Graham sort of said, I'm really busy with work. And so he went to our district board, so the, the people that look over the whole district, and said, um, I know Keith hasn't finished his studies yet, but I think I'm going to be too busy to serve at Westside. It's, sort of, it's taken me too long to get down there each, each week. I can't. He's in the community. How about you employ him and make him the supply pastor? So within two years, basically, Graham had actually, again, given up a wage from the church so that I could take it on. I could actually serve in that role. He still sort of served as a mentor of mine even all, through all that process, but he was willing, again, to sacrifice for the sake of me growing and me able to do, do something else. And so that becomes really important. As, as you look around, you know what? It's not my role to do everything that the church needs to do. Okay? Like, it's not my role. But it's not my role. That means it's our role. And again, don't look around here because if you start turning that neck and sort of looking for someone else to fulfill the roles that you're thinking about, again, I might sort of go, God is moving you. God is, I might pick on you then later. But the thing is, we all need to take on that role and so that we can actually be helping others to take that on. At the moment, we've got a number of our teenagers helping out each week in the Sunday school. They're taking on a role that they can do for, again, to point the finger to Jesus Christ. We've, we've had people step into ministry and people stepping into new roles. We're going to have some people over the coming weeks who are going to stand up and say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. It might be the first time they've been in front of people, but that's okay. They're taking on a role that God is wanting them to look at. And so it becomes really important that we live in a way that others will live out the mission that God has given us. And so that, I really want to challenge you on that. A couple of little things I want to sort of do. We need to live more than just the present. If we get stuck in, a, in, in the present mentality, all of a sudden we, we get stuck in busyness, we get stuck, stuck in all the things we have to do, and we can sort of get really caught up in work. We can get really caught up in, in stuff. We can get caught up in things. Um, and I, I've seen it in my life when you, you buy something. Anyone bought a new phone in the last 12 months? Anyone in the last two years? Okay. So the thing is, now some of you have bought one in the last two years. You might be due for one in the next year or so. 
But the thing is, like, we kind of live in a way that some, some things become so important, I've got to have that, and then years later we're throwing it out. We've saved so much money on that, and now I don't care about that. I want, I want the next greatest thing. That's what happens when we get caught in the present rather than sort of living basically for eternity. Now, living for eternity becomes such an important thing because we want to sort of store up treasure in heaven. We, we, that's in, found in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we, sometimes we look at this verse and go, that's all about what we value and what we hold most dear. We've got to have things that are more important in our heart. But again, what is the most valuable thing in heaven going to be? What was that? Okay, what's, what's God going to value the most in heaven? Us. We will be the most valuable thing to God in heaven. And you ever thought about that? Gold Street, sort of, there'll probably be Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi will be exceptional up there. Like, no dropouts at all. Like, yeah, so the thing is, you'll be able to stream prayers, like all that kind of stuff. It'll be amazing. Yet the most valuable thing to God in heaven will be us. So if we are to lay treasures up in heaven, what would be the most valuable thing that we could put in heaven? Other people. People that would be able to come to know Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus celebrates when people come to know him. Because that's the thing of greatest value. Now again, some of the practical things that we save up for in life, we need to do. We need to work. We need to buy clothes. We're not a nudist church. Never will be. Don't even bring it up. Okay? We need food. Okay, some of us probably eat too much of it, but we still need it. Most of us need cars. With the summer we've had, we need aircon. We do need to pay for those things. We do need to be responsible for that. But again, what is our mission in life? What, is, what do we see at the end of our life? What do I want to look back and say, this is what I achieved? Do we want to look back and go, do you know what? I enjoyed aircon all my life. Is that a goal for you? I, I had the best car that I could ever drive. I worked so much that I earned so much money. Look at how good that was. Or do you want to look back and say, you know what? Because of the seed I planted in that person's life, they came to Christ. Because of the conversation I had there, for the compassion I showed to that one. If we sort of actually switch our perspective and say, do you know what? It is all about people coming to know Jesus. Doesn't that motivate us to sort of do something more with our lives? To live for eternity? And see, when we live for eternity, when we're sort of living in a way that we want to make an investment that will last, this was impressed upon me this week. Live as if any moment can make a difference. Live as if any moment can make a difference. Again, I could go to the Bible and spend another half an hour pointing to examples of this where people came across a certain situation and all of a sudden, oh, let's talk about this one. We see Peter and John sort of go to the temple and they said, oh, I'm not going to give you money, I'll tell you about Jesus Christ. Philip in the, in the, with the Ethiopian eunuch was just walking along the road and this person was reading the book of Isaiah. And you go, well, let's get into a Bible study. Let's find out about who this who Isaiah is talking about. Oh, there's water here. Baptise me. And I'm not saying every moment will be an eternal moment, but live as if in that way, because all of a sudden our perspective changes and we're able to get to the point saying, you know what, I can make a difference here that will impact someone's eternity. 
I can share, so I can take five minutes, I can take one minute, I can take half an hour here that I didn't think, time that I had, I, I got too busy to be doing that. All of a sudden I can take that time and someone's eternity is guaranteed. You don't get that kind of return on anything else. To actually invest in someone's life and have eternal value. It's not like the stock markets, it doesn't go up and down. No virus, no global crash is going to cause the eternal value of those people's souls to ever disappear. And so today, like, um, I know we've been talking about John the Forerunner. It seems like a big task. It seems like a big task. I, I admit that. Sometimes you look at it and go, this is just too hard for us. But at the same time, this is what we're called to do. And again, we, we may only impact one person in our life. We may take 20 years to do it. Is it worth it? Most definitely. We may reach more. We may reach one who reaches a thousand. We may reach one um, like Billy Graham that all of a sudden he reached millions. We may start reaching 10 and all of a sudden we go, oh, those 10 that I've invested my life in are now reaching 10 of their own because they saw the mission that was in your life and said, you know what, I'm going to take that on as my mission to point all aspects of my life to Jesus Christ, to tell people about him, to tell them that that's his, their hope, that's their purpose, that's their life. For those of you out there this morning going, you know what, I can't be a part of that process. For whatever reason, like it's too big, some of you just don't want to, some of you go, I don't know how, and because of that, you're sort of edging on a no, I'm not going to do this. I want to encourage you to live a life of eternal value. To invest in something that will outlive you. Much like Apollos was a, a disciple of a disciple of John the Baptist. Even though John had given his life, his message and his purpose continue to live on. We can do the same. We can live in a way, and, and in doing that, when we live well, when we invest in something for eternity, it's at that point we are able to die well. And so I want to challenge you today. Live to die well. Live in a way where when you pass, people will celebrate what God has done through your life. That's what I want to do. I, I, I would love a funeral like Graham's. But I've got to live differently than what I'm doing probably now to get to that point. And again, in doing that, Graham just pointing his finger to God and saying, this is the one I live for. And so, I really want you to grab a hold of this because I think it can change your life. I think it can change our church. And I know it can change the world. If all of the disciples of Christ, not just us here, but of all the disciples of Christ, took it upon themselves as their mission to point all their attentions to Jesus Christ, this world would be changed. Let's be a part of that mission. Lord, I want to thank you for the examples that each one of us have had in our lives that have encouraged us, that have, have drawn attention to you, that has put the focus on you, that has helped us get to a point where we are able to say you are the greatest in our life, Lord, and we want to live for you. Lord, I pray for each one of us here that we would come to a point where we want to die well, 
And by dying well, we want to live well. We want to live with purpose. We want to live out your truth. We want to live in a way where we are investing in eternal things. And the greatest thing in heaven, the greatest thing of value in, in heaven are the souls that have called upon your name to be saved. Each one of us here are going to be valued in heaven. And I pray as we look around our world, I pray as we look at our friends, we will look at them and say, they are valuable to God. God, use me to reach them. Use me to reach them. And again, Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, equip us, but Lord, let us come to a point where we are willing to live our lives pointed to you, to, to draw attention to the one who has saved us, the one who gave up his life so that all may enter into eternity. Lord, help us to be a forerunner for you. Help us because of the life we live to see others become forerunners for you. Help our church to be a forerunner to you in this community. And Lord, again, I pray for the coming weeks that it may be a time where your truth is spoken and that people would hear the message of God. Much like Herod did, he heard the truth of God. But I pray again that you'll be working in those lives who will be here over the next number of Sundays, Lord, that you would let them come to the truth. You would not let them anything hold back. And so, Lord, we ask you to move. We ask you to move in our hearts. We ask you to move amongst us as we live out your truth. We pray this in your name. Amen.